Good morning, good evening, good night, depending on what time you're listening to this. Welcome to the Victory Podcast. I am your lovely host, Monique Watson. This episode is going to be a little bit different than the last couple. Uh, I was thinking about it and uh, we're going to talk a bit about me. And so you, the listeners, those folks listening, thank you for listening if you're hearing this. To get to know who I am a little bit more, a little bit about my background, and uh, yeah. So some may be wondering if you're an avid listener of mine, where I've been. I've been a little off the map uh, for a little bit since the last episode dropped. Uh, Had some personal health challenges, dealing with some shoulder injury and all this kind of stuff, and my birthday and things like that. 32, woohoo! So yeah, I've been a little off the map, but wanted to get back in and record an episode before the Thanksgiving season and kind of in the mind of thankfulness and mindfulness and all this kind of stuff. And we think, ah, I got to get back into the pad- podcast studio, aka at the kitchen table. So uh, yeah, so this episode, like I said, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, um, let me just lay out kind of this episode versus normal flow with interviews. It'll be just me. So if you're sick of my hearing my voice, just uh, hit the mute button, but let it play. (laughs) I don't know. Um, but I'll be talking a little bit about my background, both at a high level and then centering around two topics that I probably get asked the most. Um, just when you introduce yourself and like, where are you from? And what do you do? And things like that. Uh, top two questions. I'm from a native of New Orleans or I consider myself a native of New Orleans. Um, so I get asked about where what my kind of Katrina story or Katrina experience in one way, shape, or form, that question gets asked inevitably um, and fully understandable. And then the other side is uh, the time I spent living in Canada. And I've talked a little bit here or there, especially in like episode three with my friend Vanda. If you haven't listened to that one, she's a host of the Tight Ends podcast, which is a great podcast as well. She, uh, that's where I met her in Calgary, Canada. So talking a little bit about that and that time and what it's like and maybe some tips and tricks for those who maybe live or are moving to a new area uh, going through a place where you're away from your core group of family support or what have you and understanding what that means and some, maybe some tips to help cope with it or how I cope with it and hopefully that helps you right this is all about us helping each other to become victorious right victorious in our lives careers whatever it is um, and then we'll wrap up with where you can find us. Of course, you can find us on the victorypodcast.com, all the social media links on there. You can also email me directly, uh, Monique at the victorypodcast.com. Always there. Uh, definitely check that email. And uh, if you have ideas, interviews, whatever. So we'll go through that in this episode and hope you're along for the rest of the journey. Okay, so let's get into it. So yeah, I'm your host, Monique Watson. This is the Victory Podcast. And um, yeah, a little bit about me. I am born in Northern Virginia, just about an hour outside of D.C. Uh, Grew up there until about middle school. My family relocated to New Orleans, where my father's originally from. Lived there through middle school, high school, formative years, I would say. And then went to undergrad and washed back in the D.C. area, in Washington, D.C., actually, at a historically black college or university in the category of HBCUs, as they're known in the United States. The college I went to is, uh, the university, I should say, that I went to is Howard University, which is a.k.a. the real H.U., 
aka the Mecca, all these kind of acronyms, nicknames, what have you. Um, so I did that for undergrad, then went back home uh, to New Orleans where my family was living. And um, yeah, went to grad school there in the New Orleans area. Did that at LSU and got my master's there and then moved on to working into industry. So my background is in environmental and occupational health sciences. So what does that mean? That's like an industrial hygiene and know that it has nothing to do with washing and brushing your teeth and making people wash their hands. Those things are always important, important part of the public health side. But industrial hygiene or occupational health sciences, that kind of field that I'm in is around uh, protecting people in the, in a work environment to the different things they could be exposed to, whether that's noise, chemicals, um, radiation, what have you, depending on the industry, it could be any and everything. Indoor air quality in an office environment type thing comes up often. All of those things, measuring them, quantifying that, uh, both quantitatively and qualitatively, like and understanding how can we protect people, looking at the different ways to protect people. There's your personal protective equipment like safety glasses, gloves, bike helmet if you're thinking about I bike to work or I bike for my adventures. That's an example of personal protective equipment. Yeah, or it could be other things, engineering controls, separation, substituting one thing for something less hazardous um, as far as employee hazards. So yeah, that's the kind of realm of, of my background. So I started doing that uh, in the oil and gas industry uh, in the greater New Orleans area where, like I said, where I was living, where I was from. Um, Then got the opportunity to move to Calgary, Canada, which is in western Canada, just above Montana, doing in the industry, a little bit different, more permits and compliance side of health and safety in that space. Um, and then, yeah, in 2015, price of oil took a, a, a big dip at that time. Um, and they started doing layoffs and layoffs getting closer and closer. And I looked at other opportunities um, outside of that industry, um, which tends to be quite volatile. I mean, any industry can have its ups and downs, but that's an especially volatile one. Um, and looked at that my skills transfer to any place where anybody works, really. So got the opportunity to work out here in the Bay Area, which that's a reference to the San Francisco Bay um, in the state of California. So San Francisco Bay Area, been out here for three years now. So I'm out here with my husband, Christian. He has, uh, we've been together for two years, oh, married for two years, uh, together for about seven years. So quite some time that we've spent together and um have two lovely dogs. If you want to follow them on the gram, it's uh, the Chewy and Shorty Show. Uh, I try and throw up some cute, funny things. They have a lot of personality, even though they lay around most days. I don't know. So yeah, that's me, and just you know, doing the day to day, working, trying to be a good wife and dog mother. <laughs> So uh, that's the overview, definitely. So inevitably when I give that like rundown about what I do, who I am, where I'm from, I get two like buckets of questions, categories of information, whatever you want to say. Questions about, oh, you're from New Orleans. The very next thing is, were you there during Katrina or what was that like? And it's always a mixed reaction for me. I get the interest, but there's also a level of... um, for anyone, even if you're 
not you aren't in New Orleans, you're adjacent to New Orleans, have family, and you have some connectivity to that city, there's different levels and peaks and valleys around that experience for people. So, I mean, it's whatever people are going to ask. I've learned to kind of not give them the quick and dirty usually and just kind of understand what that is. But I'll talk a little bit more about that kind of experience from my perspective, which is just mine and going to be different from everyone else you talk to I liken it often and I think I referenced this in some some of the earlier episodes so go back and listen Um, but it's similar to how I imagine people in New York or people from New York or who were in New York during 9-11 when that happened it changes you you know exactly where you were when you heard you know what it took to kind of either come back or dealing with that and the after effects and things that have forever change that city specifically and other cities that were affected on that day so um yeah it's very something that that I it's something that anybody from New Orleans will carry with them forever and there's just like there's a pre-9-11 things we talk about and ways we talk about different topics whether it be airport security or the state of the world or politics in a world of pre-9-11, post-9-11. In New Orleans, it's definitely a pre-Katrina, post-Katrina. There's a fundamental shift for good, bad, or indifferent. And I'll talk a little bit about that in the next couple minutes. Um, So yeah, where was I? What's my Katrina story? Um, So I wasn't in New Orleans at the time of Katrina. That was actually my freshman year in college. First week of classes, maybe it was the first week of... um, the pre-freshman like orientation week to kind of really get excited about being and going to school at Howard. So in the loop, hurricane season is an inevitable part of the Gulf Coast where New Orleans, Florida, all that kind of area is in. So there's always some level of potential that a storm will affect your area. Oftentimes in my history, as far as in my lifetime, Um, it would be minor. We get the outer bands of something because it goes east or west of us or it misses us completely and decides to go up the east coast or what have you. And evacuating for a hurricane is, in my case, it was something we did. Some people did not because they're used to, you know, crying wolf in in a sense of they're not being the big one in their lifetime or because they survived the big one 40, 50, 60 years ago, what have you, that they don't feel the need to evacuate, they feel ready to handle such a thing. And, you know, that's a choice. That's a absolutely a choice. And, you know, maybe nine times out of 10, that's not a problem because it turns into, I evacuated, nothing happened. I spent money, time. It turns into evacuation vacation if you make it fun, depending on where you go and your financial ability to evacuate, all of those factors. Um, so evacuating or hearing about people, my family evacuating was not an alarm bell for me. It was, okay, that's what we should do. Be safe. Let me know where you're going. Keep me in the loop. So I remember in the days leading up to the storm making landfall and all of that, um, my father called me um, and said that our family, our immediate family who was there, my younger sister was still living at home as she was in school, um, was evacuating. I said, okay, great. Uh, it was a little bit strange. So my grandparents who were both alive in the time and my grandmother, um, my grandmother is still alive. My great grandmother is not, and my grandfather is not of, of this 
branch of the family. They evacuated, which was strange. They're of that scenario, as I mentioned earlier, who didn't evacuate. They survived, I think, in the early 60s. There was a hurricane uh, in New Orleans, Hurricane Betsy, where there was flooding and a major whole thing. And people who survived that were like, well, I don't need to evacuate again. I made it through Betsy. I'll be fine. Um, that was kind of the mentality or, you know, I'm older and it is what it is. Uh, what have you, I, I live in an elevated area. I'll be fine if we get some flooding and to put in context, if anyone's not familiar with New Orleans, New Orleans in itself is in essence in a bowl. We sit below sea level. Um, I joke that if you try to, you know, dig, that's why our graves are above ground, all that kind of stuff. You try and dig out back to build out a bit basement you're building a swimming pool because you'll run into inevitably run into water we're surrounded by water and in a in a sense there's a river the mississippi river runs kind of through new orleans you have a lake lake pontchartrain very large body water that that is in the new orleans area and then we're just off the coast there's a lot of water around um all around so yeah inevitably living in a bowl there's flooding in some parts. It's an older infrastructure. New Orleans has been a city before the country was a country. Um, so French, Spanish, back to French to the United States, I think is the order of who owned what and what have you. Anyway, um, so yeah, so certain parts of the city are higher on the edges of the bowl and some are lower in the, in the bottom of the bowl. The bottom of the bowl stuff is kind of, for whatever reason, when they were running it, is areas closer and often we'll get flooding, depending on where you are, just the infrastructure and a whole host of things that I won't even begin to get into. Um, maybe more in the post-Katrina side of it once we get through that, that part of this conversation. But yeah, so they called me. They were evacuating, loading up the car. Both They, they got my grandparents to agree to evacuate. So that was a little bit like, huh, okay, all right, well, be safe. And uh do what you do, pack a few things, secure the house as best you can. And I'm sure in my mind, I'm like, I'm sure they'll be back in a week, two weeks, whatever. Maybe there's some flooding, maybe some minor wind damage, what have you. Um, minor, I was expecting at most. And that was a, in my mind, a 5% chance of at most minor wind damage. So life goes on. I'm an undergrad and I'm a freshman and I'm in college and woohoo and it's fun and exploring being in school and this was early in the cell phone phase pre i no was it pre i yeah i'd say pre iphone really being a thing definitely i didn't have smartphones iphones what have you um but i remember my phone the real kind of indication that something was different not i didn't have a tv in my room as a freshman i didn't bring one and my roommates didn't bring one and we we're kind of like meh whatever um we had classes and all that kind of stuff, so it was fine. And there was common area TVs. Uh, so I didn't really keep up with the news that much. Um, it didn't directly affect me. My family is evacuated. They're safe, ultimately, as far as my immediate family and most folks that I knew did evacuate in some way. Um, at least to my knowledge at that point. Uh, yeah, so all good. And then my phone stopped working. And I still had a New Orleans-based phone, so it was on the same kind of however that works and so it stopped working but being in dc there's parts that are underground with the subway so i assumed it was so i assumed i was just in a bad zone or reception zone so i got on my computer my little laptop got on my brother who had just started at a and t had transferred he's a year ahead of me 
uh, as far as grades and such. And he had just transferred to North Carolina T out of the New Orleans area, out of Tulane. And um, another HBCU, whoop whoop, HBCU love, uh, sent him a note. It was like, hey, is your phone working? And he was like, this was on the AIM instant messenger. We thought we were cool, whatever. So old school now. Um, anyway, so I, he sent me a note back like, no, it's not. Uh, I wonder what's going on with that. I was like, hmm. And so I kind of was more like, okay, something maybe is going on. And I saw in the news and the all the stuff that was emerging out of Katrina. And it was just my stomach hit the floor, honestly. Um, it was devastation that I had never seen. Um, the amount of just unfortunateness of, I won't even blame on how it was handled. It was just a scope in which that couldn't be expected or prepared for. Um, because honestly, it was not, and what a lot of people who aren't from New Orleans or as intimately familiar think it was the storm that, you know, a storm hit us really bad. That The storm hit, I believe, east or west, I think east of us as far as the eye of the storm. But it was really more so around the failures of the levees, which the levees hold back um, the water. Like I said, we're surrounded by water. There's the lake, there's the river, there's all these things of bodies of water around the levees hold that back because we are below sea level to keep the, the sides of the bowl up, basically. And so when the levees breach, you have water's going to come into your bowl. So that's really when the levees break, that's a, you know, it's an engineering failure. You can't really plan for that. It was a time, like I said, there hadn't been a major hurricane in most people's lifetime. It happened, the last big, big one that had hit was in... Um, the 60s, as I mentioned, Hurricane Betsy. So people who were alive to really remember on how to plan and really understand what could happen. And in the age of cell phones, you get to rely, and especially in an emergency situation, emergency first responders rely on comms, right? You assume that you will have some level of communication. Um, and that was really challenging. Uh, a family friend of mine was the police chief during that time, and he equated um their ability and the communication situation in that time was like the movie Hotel Rwanda meets Black Hawk Down, but with no communication. So you're in the dark, there's no there's no way to communicate with people, it's hard to coordinate your team and make sure your team is safe and how they then can respond and be a first responder and fall into that step. So that's why places and groups of people and individuals who have boats and looking for people and checking for their neighbors and the Cajun army coming down from areas that were less affected like Baton Rouge to come and help to start looking for people to help in the rescue efforts. So those things were amazing and kind of speaks to the, the human spirit that is that ultimately when push comes to shove, regardless of what part of the world you're in, I honestly believe, and, and you know, as a woman of faith, this is just validated over and over and over and over and over and over and over throughout history of people coming together in times of trouble. So you put aside where we stand on the red or the blue or this thing or that issue, that goes out the window a lot of times to say, I'm going to help you as a human. Your humanity speaks to my humanity and we need to help to at least get you out of this dire state. What happens after that, you know, that's its own bureaucracy and response. And we can go for round and round. Anybody who wants to talk about the politics of 
response and emergencies and how different governments respond more effectively than others. Sure, we can talk about that, but that's not this podcast. Um, So yeah, I looked at that um, and then in my own, okay, what's my analysis of how my family is affected? Uh, Couldn't really call them, so I'm just basing their potential access and damage to where our family home was was based on the news and where they're doing shots of. So for for a number of days, you never really got a screen, and as was, as were they to find out, watching the news to find out the best information that they could. So you're watching the over overheads of, of helicopter footage and parts of the city. You're like, okay, I see this landmark. Okay, our home's not that way, so maybe we're okay because there are parts of the city that were affected more than others um, based on their location relative to the levees. So... For a while, I was like, okay, we're probably fine. It should be fine. We're in a higher part of the city. We're more up away from the bowl, directionally speaking, and should be fine. We sit up. Our, our house sits up a little bit, not terribly high, but um, we should be okay. And then they did like a helicopter angle of what was Six Flags, what is currently as it stands at the time of this recording this podcast, is uh, the abandoned Six Flags um, was under significant amounts of water and my family's home is not very far from there so that was a really aha moment of oh shoot this is this is gonna not only affects the city and this is a game changer it's now a whole new world um people are displaced all over thousands of people displaced people don't know when they're going to be able to get home don't know where all their loved ones are um that speaks to let me pause here for a second to say that's important to think about regardless of where you are because it could be out here in the Bay Area, there's earthquakes. Some places there's hurricanes. Some places there's tornadoes. Having an emergency plan and having someone who doesn't live in your area, hopefully, that you can reach out to and be the point of contact because when something like that happens, communications are going to go down. You're not going to be able to get messages out from your smartphone. You may or may not have internet depending on what's going on with Wi-Fi and what have you. Infrastructure is probably a lot better than it was in most places since Katrina and other disasters since. Facebook's out there with some great tools about checking in. But learning and having a plan to call someone and or text, text messages as we learned, do get out. Even if the cell phone, as far as calling to talk to your family or loved ones, to check in on them, might go down. But that text message will get through eventually. It might take a while, it might be a few hours delayed, but at least you can get that information out there and put a timestamp, say at 2.20 in my time zone, I'm safe, or I need help, or this is where I am, I'm at work, I'm on the highway, I'm in this part of the highway, near this exit, whatever. Have a person outside of your area, the recommendation is right 300 miles outside of your area, um, to be that point of contact so that family that could be in that area, that all live in that same space, can reach out to that person and say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna text you this, check back, and be that hub of communication if all the communication around locally to the incident will be shut down or minimized and prioritized first response and people who are in need, um, in dire need um, first. So have a plan, have a plan, have a plan, have a plan. Um, if you want some tips and tricks, um, I'll put some a couple of uh, links in the show notes for this episode so that you can have that and share with your own families. 
Um, yeah, so that's when I realized it was it was going to be a big deal. And um, we really didn't know specifically the damage for a while because getting into that area, getting getting to a point where the waters could recede, all of those things, it was outer bands, a lot of rain, and then other storms coming after it. It was several months before we even got any kind of pictures or anything of folks to see the damage in our home. Um, and, w- and ultimately, it was quite significant. I actually have a few photos. Uh, I won't share them necessarily. Maybe one or two. We'll, I'll decide. Um, go check out the website. Maybe they'll, they'll be there. Maybe they won't. But one or two pictures. But it was about, uh, like, what I would say, about three feet worth of water in our home. We probably, in that area, had about five feet. But we sit up about a foot and a half, two feet. We had about, what I would say, countertop level. If you think about the countertops in your home. Um, that level of water in our house. And then the mold from water sitting there. Mold uses drywall as a food source. The mold will grow. So we had another foot of mold probably. And that's just a rough estimate. Um, Yeah, of water damage on the first floor of our home. We're blessed to have a two-story home. In some places, if you have that amount of water, that's most of your house and all of your belongings and what have you. But yeah, so a lot of damage pulling out drywall, all that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, so that kind of devastation, it was a while, it was about a year, a year and almost a year and a half before we were back in our family home, as far as my, my parents and stuff. Of course, I was in school, I'm in DC, I'm trying to process all this and be away from my core family, right? College is stressful for anybody who's been to college or lived away in any way. It's stressful. It's a, it's a different time. You're adjusting to a different phase of life. And to add on to that, um, this kind of emergency devastation, Howard was really good to do and help people who were from that area. They took in a lot of students who were in school in New Orleans there. Xavier University is another HBCU, which is in New Orleans. They took in several students from Xavier University, as did a lot of schools. Once again, that American human spirit, bit of let's all come together to do the greatest good regardless of where you're from and what have you um so yeah a lot of happened in that space so trying to manage school and understanding that it's definitely a stressful time um i tried my best to focus on what i could control at the time you know eating going to class checking in when i can get updates when i can but it it is what it is um and as i knew my family was safe ultimately it's like look at least they're safe stuff can be replaced people are not replaceable there's only one you in the all of the world even if you're a twin a triplet there's only one you um so always remember that stuff can be replaced have the insurance that you need for the type of environment that you need but ultimately things are things always recommend people as much as you can have feelings about the cloud it's nice to digitize have some sort of external hard drive when you're making your emergency plans take that stuff with you um those mementos, those irreplaceable sides, but, you know, couches, whatever, items are replaceable for the most part, but you are never replaceable. There's only one you. So yeah, the next question is what now? So the storm has happened, watching this on the news to kind of put some context to a little bit of like a secondhand version of my parents and aunts and uncles experiences uh, as part of evacuating they evacuated majority evacuated to my aunt's home in houston texas where she was living and she was a physician and had a you know decent sized home real estate's relatively inexpensive in houston compared to other parts of the world in the country 
Um, but yeah, all of, like I said, my parents, uh, my grandparents, my great grandmother, my sister, and then a number of members of my, her husband's family, my aunt's husband's family is also from New Orleans. So they evacuated there. So you had 20 plus, I think people living in the same house, good size house, but not meant for 20 people. Um, my parents quote unquote bed was like a pallet they made in the the master closet of my aunt's home so i mean it is you get in where you fit in the elder i think generation slept and they you know people giving up their beds the kids bunked together on the floor kind of camping style the younger kids um that belonged to my aunt whatever it kind of was getting where you fit in and kind of make do once again the the strength of the human spirit and this need to okay we'll do this it's not an ideal situation but you make do with what you got the other challenge on their end that I heard about, so my aunt's a physician, she's in anesthesiology, more specialized, but she kind of switched gears and had to be more of a general practitioner. You're away from home, you're away from your doctors, you can't get in touch with your doctors. How do you get your medicine? You have different people of different age ranges and they have different requirements and trying to be clear on what they need, where where can they get it, how can they you know, get their insurance, their insurance information, whether that's in handy, whether they are covered and all this kind of hoops that maybe don't always think about when you're thinking of uh, after a disaster, how to plan or even preparing before. So if you can get several months worth of of your prescription for, I mean, you don't need oxy clearly for three months, but if you're on different medications for heart and whatever, then you can get a large uh, sometimes through your insurance, get a couple months worth and put that um, in your emergency pack when you're kind of planning for your emergency um, evacuation type activities to take with you because you may not have access to your medicine. You may be away from that source, your normal pharmacy, your doctors, what have you. Um, so definitely important to think about when you're when you're planning for a disaster. Um, it's better to plan. Um, if you don't plan, you plan to fail. Some There's some quote to that effect out there. Um, yeah, so she became more of a GP. She's getting people's prescriptions together, trying to help and get in where, where you fit in. So over the next year and a half or so it took to get back into our family home, um, there was a bit of every break I went home. Like I said, this was my freshman year. I usually go home, oh, you get to be home and get to see all the same people and whatever. That's maybe most people's freshman year college experience. It was every time I went home, we were living somewhere else. And to be clear, my family, uh, we are blessed and fine and and all good. But when your dad owns a business, but his business is in one city, that was devastated. It was it was challenging. That's why he saved for the rainy days and all that kind of stuff. But one break, we were they were at a home in Houston. Um, that was like the first break. It would have been probably Christmas break, home in Houston that they rented after you know. You know, they needed to kind of settle and take root to not knowing what was going to be the state of New Orleans. Were they going to bring New Orleans back with some discussions at the time? Would they just green space it all? Would they just green space certain sections that got really flooded really bad? So that would be maybe our home and kind of understanding what that meant. Um, so they rented a home in Houston and we went and stayed there. My brother and I, when we were home for Christmas break, I think the next break after that, um, maybe summer, spring break, something like that. My parents, my mom was in school at the time. They lived in a two-bedroom apartment was the next setup, which is fine when you have just two parents and a, and a daughter. Uh, but 
yeah, when all three of your children come home and we're all adults-ish, uh, grown size, not little kids. So, uh, that was challenging. Um, making space and especially love my sister. She's in medical school in Nashville. Whoop, whoop. Another doctor in the family, but you know, she kicks when she sleeps. No shade, but shade. <laughs> um, so that was, um, an adventure. So that's, you know, second break every time you come home, I think it was spring or summer. So graduate housing, the next kind of adventure of being home and where they, where are we living now is kind of the Russian led, where do I need to go? So they were finally back in New Orleans, um, with the graduate housing. Um, and then the next break was a family friend's home who, that they usually rent one side and kind of kept the other one as a vacation home as they lived in the West Coast. We stayed there after my grandparents were kind of, we kind of did this like trailing, following them as far as them moving back into their home. Um, so once they were able to move out of that home, it was a, it was like a duplex where they were on one side, the other side was rented out, wasn't affected with the flooding. Um, so we lived there for a while. It was like a basic two bedroom, but they had a couple of sofas, sofa beds and all that in the main living space. So it all worked out. Ultimately, like I said, stuff is replaceable. I think I've really, I don't know how much of that looking back that I would have really necessitated or really thought about pre-Katrina but definitely a way of life for me I mean have things don't like be like okay stuff's replaceable so I won't have anything have things have things you care about know where they are um but know that if something happened tomorrow and I lost them it would be upsetting I'm sure for a day or two but it is what it is I'm here I have breath in my body I have the ability to use my brain move my limbs that's that's enough that's more than some people got somebody didn't wake up this morning somebody wishes they could walk wish if your car breaks down on the highway somebody wishes they could get out of their hospital bed and walk and just go for a lap around the walk to the mailbox those little things that Oftentimes in the hustle and bustle that is the day-to-day life, we have a tendency to forget the important things, what's important. Um, the ability, I mean, I always think when I go to church here and any t- anywhere I go and in the time of praise and worship, I used to do a lot more in the praise and worship space in my old church uh, back in New Orleans. But one thing is like, look, if you need to think of a reason to praise the Lord, um, raise your hands. The ability to raise your hands is enough reason. I mean, there's always the old saying in the church of he doesn't, if he doesn't do another thing for me, he's already done enough. And he's already done enough that I'm here. I'm here to do this ministry of this podcast. I'm here to talk to people. You're here. You have a purpose and a calling on your life. Whether you know what it is, that's between you and the Lord. And I would invite you and implore you to spend some time with God in, in prayerfulness and really having a conversation with God um, to understand what that is for you. Because if you don't know your calling, it, it can be rough. A day-to-day life of not understanding what your what your why is, is, is one of the terms out in the ethers of life that I didn't make up. I don't know where it come from, where it came from. Um, but what's your why? Like you can... You can work at McDonald's, you work at Walmart, you could work in as a lawyer, doctor, health and safety, whatever. That's what you do. It's not your why. Why do I wake up every morning? Um, what is my calling on my life? What am I put on this planet to do? And that's a point in which a lot of people struggle. 
regardless of your beliefs, um, that's a point to really understand on your life. And if you don't know what that is, then it's hard. So for me, the calling on my life is I'm put on this planet to help people, full stop. I help people in my job every day, uh, even if it's small to large, help people any way I can. Um, I have a love for people to help, to mentor, to to really um, embrace and, and minister in a way. That's a ministry. Like ministry doesn't have to be just the fivefold ministry and in the church directly. You as a Christian or a woman of or man of God, um, you have a ministry. Your your life is your ministry, and that purpose on your life is more the, the more specifics of how you're going to do your ministry. But even if your job is to clean up, that's a ministry. You do it joyfully, like you would do anything else. And people see that. People see, regardless of their own personal background, people see. And I get asked this all the time. Maybe other people do. You know, what's you're always so happy. You're always which is not true. I'm not always happy. I'm not always, everything's not always great, but I try and put things in context and look at, step back and say, what, what am I actually upset about? What can I change? And what's really important? Um, those are things to guide every, every guiding principle, um, around anything in life to, to really try and, and it's hard when you're in it, probably the biggest, biggest, biggest thing. And as you develop as a person and in your faith to step back and say, but wait, there's something, and especially if you're of, of the Christian faith, and I implore you, um, if this speaks to you, find your nearest church and try and figure it out or feel free to reach out to me, Monique at thevictorypodcast.com. I'm more than welcome to help put you in contact with some ministries in different parts of the country and the world. Um, really look back and say, what is it? Who do I believe in? What is, there's more there, there. There's a bigger power um, in my belief that Jesus Christ is is my Lord and Savior. Um, But for you, it may be something different. But whoever that greater power is in your life, the God in your life, um, that's that's what, what we're here for. Otherwise, if it's all fate and it's all predetermined or it's all random, okay, that's, that's a way to believe and that's okay. Or it's all a different faith that, I mean, I don't judge. I have my way. I believe it's the way. Um, but ultimately it'll be what it is. So yeah, coming back to finally being able to move into our home was an amazing feeling as far as, Hey, look, I'm away at school, but to be home, I was lucky that my bedroom was upstairs and was relatively unscathed. But it was a challenge. So moving back, New Orleans was not 100% back. My dad was fighting tooth and nail to start going back. Like I said, his business was there, trying to rebuild that. Um, and I'll link this in in the show activities and, and in the notes for the show. Um, the challenge with Katrina, people are like, what's the deal? Because I, I, if you go to New Orleans today, it's not 100% back. It's not perfect. It's not everything done. All the places that you would want to visit as a tourist or a visitor to that city, it's fine. New Orleans, the French Quarter, a lot of the fun restaurants, a lot of great stuff, a lot of new things. Post Katrina, awesome stuff. Most amazing food in, food in the, one of the most amazing cities, bar none, in the in the country. 
And I've been a few places. I won't say I've been everywhere, but it's just an amazing, amazing cultural melting pot of people and backgrounds and attitudes. And it's got that Southern hospitality with a little bit of something extra too. All those kind of places, if you're going to visit, they're back. They're, they weren't really heavily affected by Katrina. The challenge is if you live there, coming back from Katrina, if you imagine, and I'll send the link to my uncle Rustin being interviewed for the 10 year anniversary, which was about almost five years ago now. Imagine a life in which your house caught on fire. Tomorrow your house caught on fire. It would probably be okay because your neighbors would be able to help you. Other family members would be able to help you. It would be okay. It would be devastating for you personally, but it's, it's a one person effect in that sense. One family unit. Katrina was imagining as if everyone's house caught on fire at the same time. So who can you turn to? Your neighbors are going through the same thing. Your city's going through the same thing. The people who are public officials who live there, they're trying to figure out what they got to do. You know, as I mentioned, a family friend of mine was the police chief at the time. He's trying to figure out, is their family safe? Is their folks safe? And still try and find up to the citizens that they protect and serve. So those are things that it's it's challenging. And it, like I said, I imagine this whole experience is somewhat equitable to the first responders experience in New York and people of New York and, and some sisterhood there, or brotherhood or whatever of, of those experiences. Um, but it was, it was a devastating point for the city. And it, you know, out of, out of that has emerged a lot of great things. There's still some challenges that face New Orleans and the future of New Orleans. Um, there was a lot of people who did not come back. There are pluses and minuses to any situation, right? There's always something to be gained. For a lot of people, it was an opportunity. If you're born and raised and have never really left New Orleans or Louisiana, you don't really know what you're missing out on. So when people who did evacuate or got, you know, pulled from roofs and whatever and survives and sent to places like Atlanta and Houston, regionally close areas, some said, hmm, I can make a life for myself here. Uh, the pay is often better in some of those places, it's a lot larger, especially pre-Katrina, a lot more industries located there, good paying jobs, opportunities, good infrastructure, better infrastructure than New Orleans has um, or had at that time during Katrina. So yeah, it was a question of maybe I don't need to come back and that's okay. And so there's a bit of that. And then people couldn't afford to come back. So they had to live where they are by choice or whatever. And then people who were working to come back. And the challenges of not knowing the state of the city. So it was a challenge. So that's that's a long, long-winded version of my Katrina story. Um, I think I'm going to end up breaking this into two episodes. Um, so that's the first one. So we'll do a two-parter. So episode four, part one, is uh, my background overall and talking about the Katrina story. We'll uh, record the second half around living in living abroad what's that like canada's barely abroad but enough that there are differences and nuances and so i'll talk about that in part two thanks for listening
So you've been listening to part one of episode four. And thanks so much for listening. If you're looking to find out more about the Victory Podcast, check out our website at thevictorypodcast.com. That's T-H-E-V-I-C-T-O-R-Y podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, all one word, thevictorypodcast.com. That's got links to our social media. Um, We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Of the two, I spend the most time on Instagram and Facebook, so hit me up there. Um, Always love to chat. Always love to have a good discord of uh, information, thoughts, what have you. Um, And you can also check us out um, via email if you want to ask me a question directly um, or have an idea or someone you think might want to be on the show. Um, It is challenging when you're starting a podcast to kind of get get the ball rolling, so to speak, um, especially this kind of interview style of very personal, what can be very personal stories. So if you know somebody who has shared their story somewhere else or you think would be willing to share, please shoot me a line, send, send me their contact info, Monique at thevictorypodcast.com. Um, so that's it for part one. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, I'll end with my sign off line. Um, Every problem has a solution. It's whether you're willing to do the work to find it. Let's do the work and be victorious.